You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit jointheventure.com or facebook.com slash jointheventure. We hope you enjoy. This guy's name is uh, Taylor Molly, and he's a New York beat poet. Uh, and I've been to his website. He's, he's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty deep guy. Uh, but he hits the nail on the head with what, what I want to call a condition that I think exists in the world today. It's, it's a condition. It's the... Um, whatever syndrome, you know, that syndrome, like I think it began with the movie Clueless back in the 90s, and then it's kind of gotten progressively worse. You've heard people say, it's, it's whatever. It's whatever. And, and whatever, 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 we, we're the people who, we bounce around from activist group to activist group, from rally to rally, from protest to protest, or from relationship to relationship, from career to career, from, uh, from, from college degree, you know, decision to college degree decision. We just... Don't really know. And then we get on Facebook and we talk about it. We get angry when people disagree with us. And, and, and it's this whole idea, the whatever syndrome. And the battle cry is, it's whatever. It's whatever floats your boat. You know, what, what's true for me doesn't have to be true for you. It was true for you doesn't have to be true for me. And don't let me step on your toes. And there, there's a problem with that because when that happens, we lose conviction. We lose the ability to stand on something firm and make a statement. We lose the ability to impact the world for change. Because everybody's right is right. Nobody's wrong is wrong. And here's the question I have for you. What has caused the whatever syndrome? What's, what's caused it? I'm going to share with you what I think is my opinion. And, of course, my opinion doesn't matter because everyone else's opinion is important, Right? And it's actually against the rules of the whatever syndrome, my opinion. But let me share it with you. I think it's because rather than take a stance on something in particular, we would rather play it safe and sit on the fence. You hear what I said? Rather than take a stance on something particular, we would much rather sit on the fence and play it safe. Let me tell you what I mean. Uh, have you ever seen the movie? It came out a few years ago. It's called We Bought a Zoo. This is the, the image from the movie. Remember that movie? Uh, I'll talk about that a little bit. The, the, in the movie, basically, the, the wife, uh, or the, there's a, a, a dad with two kids, okay? And the mom and wife has passed away. And it's this really emotional beginning of the movie. And there's a boy in the movie, the son, and he's just having a hard time naturally dealing with the passing of his mother. And how does, this, how does this work for me in life? And how do I carry on? And so there's this phrase that he says all the time. He just says, whatever. Whatever, no matter what his dad says to him, he just says, whatever. And his father finally has had it with that phrase, whatever. And he goes, whatever, whatever, whatever is the laziest word of the 21st century. I am sick of whatever. And the daughter says, but that's the only word he knows. <laughs> if he doesn't have that, he won't have anything else to say. For some of us, whatever is the main word we use. And maybe not that word, but the attitude. <laughs> whatever. You know what? We'll, we'll get there. We'll do that. It'll be okay. And maybe some of it's healthy. Maybe some of it's not. In the movie, uh, and, well, and the question I want to ask is, you know, is it whatever because we'd rather play it safe and sit on the fence? In the movie, um, basically the dad is this adventure writer for a main, major newspaper. Okay, that's what he does. Uh, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about the movie, but I'm not going to give it away. I totally recommend you, you check it out. It's a good, good movie, uh, family watch, all that kind of stuff, good stuff. 
But he's an adventure writer for a major newspaper, and that's what he does. He writes about adventure. He also goes on great adventures, and he follows around with, you know, explorers and extreme sporters and all this cool stuff. And he writes about it, and he did it for fun, and he did it for a living. But in a crazy turn of events that might have already been given away, he bought a zoo. <laughs> that's the name of the movie. So he goes out, and he buys this old dilapidated old zoo, and he says, I'm going I'm to buy this zoo, and I'm going to rehabilitate it, and that's going to be our family project. And so they do. And so there's this point where it's kind of falling to pieces, and they're trying to figure out how to make the, the zoo function. And so he pulls together the small staff that works at the zoo. He pulls together his small family, and he says this. He says, I would like to declare us all modern adventurers. And later, a while into the adventure, his daughter asks him. I mean, they're getting into this life of living in the zoo and doing the zoo thing. And his daughter asks him, she says, Dad, how come you don't tell stories anymore? He said, because we're living the story now. Do you think it's possible that God would like us all to get together and say, I would like to declare us all modern-day adventurers? And do you think it's possible that maybe that's what you've been waiting for your whole life? I love, man, Maria's story, she just stood up here and told, I didn't know what she was going to say. And what she just shared with you guys, I was literally... I got up on stage and I said, just so you know, like, we're done. Like, I could just, for real, we could call today. You have preached. <laughs> because the adventure that she went on with her life was one to say, I got I to gotta do something. I can't just be whatever anymore. I got to do something and I got to seek something bigger than me, something more powerful than me, something that's able to help. She discovered God and it led her into church and, I mean, how many of you have been absolutely blessed and blown away and had your rocks, your, your, your world rocked by having Maria be a part of our band and lead you in singing to God almost every week, right? And like, Maria, I think you're still in here, but like, wow, like when you were like saying your prayer in your bed that night and you were like, God, just I want to do something, man, you're living the adventure right now. I think all of us want some of that. All of us wish that our life would, I don't know, matter right? And it might be that God um, in church is pretty new to you, and the thought of, like, of getting to this whole God thing and, and the adventure, I'm saying this, and you're sitting in the seat going, ah, uh, no, no, that's not what I signed up for. Like, my friend brought me to church today. He said he would pay for lunch. It's opening week of football. We're going to go to, what's this whole adventure stuff? Here's what I want to say to you, okay, because I'm going to say some things in a minute that I don't know where you are with it, but here's what I want to say to you. The adventure is amazing. Stick around for just one more week. Just come back one more time, hang out with us, and see what it's about. But maybe for you too, you're just like, this adventure thing is, sounds appealing. It can be seen all throughout history that when God takes somebody's life and puts them on an adventure with him, it completely rocks their world. I, I want to take a look at some of those lives. Um, like when you go all the way to the very beginning of the Bible, there's this guy in the very first book of the Bible called Genesis. This is a guy named Noah. If you don't know Noah's story, let me just tell you. His story is amazing. He's pretty much a nobody in the world scheme. But God comes to him with sort of a plan for the entire world. This is what he says, basically. I'm going to paraphrase. Noah, it's not raining. And there's no threat of rain, just so you know. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to build an ark. And I'm going to make you responsible for restarting and repopulating the entire planet. Can you imagine that you're Noah for just a second? What's an ark? <laughs> I have no idea. What? 
what do you mean, God? And, and so God gives him a choice. If you don't know the story of Noah, um, you know, check it out. It's in the very first book of the Bible, and it's awesome, and, and I've talked about it before, and I'll get back into it again, but it's a really cool story to see what God does with a person who didn't even necessarily understand what he was being asked to do. And here's the choice that Noah had to make. He said, I could play it safe, but God wants me to take a stand and live an adventure. So he chose the adventure. Later in the same book, God speaks to another guy. He was a herdsman. He also was a nobody in the grand scheme of the world. His name was Abraham. And he goes to Abraham, and God says, Abraham, I want you to go. Like, seriously, go. Like, go ahead, go. I want you to pack up everything you own, and I want you to go to this place. Oh, I'm not going to tell you where the place is yet. Actually, this whole thing is a project of seeing whether or not you trust me. So pack up and go. And when you get there, you'll know. Oh, and by the way, you're like 99 years old. Yeah, I'm going to start a family with you. And you don't have any kids yet. Did I hear you right? Maybe I'm hearing things. And, and Abraham had to have this moment where he goes, I, I, I'm convicted that this is actually God. And what was cool, uh, I talked about this several months ago. We did a series called uh, A Life Worth Watching. And it was about the life of Abraham. Did you know that Abraham, and if you've heard about Abraham, you might assume he was like, he probably was a real good Jewish boy. He went to synagogue every week, and he was, you know, he knew all about God. No, this is before any organized religion based around God. There's a very likely chance that Abraham was just a guy who worshiped idols like people all over the world, and and there were local deities, and and who knows what kind of spiritual life. So for him to feel and hear an articulated word from an all-powerful being like God, that got his attention, but he still had the choice to do nothing, to sit and play it safe, or to take a stand and live an adventure. Later in the Bible, God calls a guy named Moses. Maybe you've heard of Moses, maybe not. Maybe, M- Moses, by the time we get to this part of the story, he's living this comfy little life out in, in the wilderness. He's a shepherd, and he's just kind of got his family thing going on, and it's great. It's awesome. Now, a thing that you might not know about Moses is that Moses used to live in Egypt, the most populated area in the world, and he was very well known there. One time he walked up on an Egyptian guard who was beating up a Hebrew slave, just abusing him. Moses put a stop to it by killing the guard. Probably was a better way to deal with that, but Moses just walked in and was like, yeah, you'll never beat another slave. Kills the guy, but then there's, there's like a price on Moses' head because he's murdered someone. It's against the rules to murder people in major cities and civilizations, and so he's on the run. This is Moses. So he's gotten away from all that. He's living with his new family, and God comes to him, and this is what God says to him. Yeah, you've established a nice little place for yourself here as a shepherd, but I want you to go back into Egypt where you're wanted for murder, and I want you to demand the king to release all the Hebrew slaves. Ah, uh, no thank you. That doesn't sound like much fun. And Moses had a decision to play it safe, but God wanted him to take a stand and go live and adventure. Last week, or a week before last, before our service week, we talked about David and how he faced this giant. And actually, if you go through David's life, time after time after time, David is faced with a moment where he can either play it safe or take a stand against the oppressive government or against another nation who's coming against them or all these different things. What does he do? That's a decision that he had to make. And it's a decision that we have to each make. If you look through the entire Bible, and we get near the very end of the Bible now in the book of Hebrews, by the time we get near the end of the Bible, there are now Christian people who are writing about the history of all of, uh, of God's people. And in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, 
this is kind of summary of a lot of that. And so stick with me. If you've got a Bible with you, feel free to open up. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 11. I always like to try to say this too. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we like to give them away for free. And so there's some, there should be some in the back. They're just free. They're paperback Bibles. There's some that were in about every other seat or so as you came in this morning. Feel free to take those home with you. We want everyone to have a good readable Bible that they can, uh, that they can use on their own. Um, and so let's check out Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 through 39. The guy's talking about all these people who took a stand. He says, what more should I say? I do not have the time to tell you about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah or David, which I just talked about, or Samuel and the prophets who thought through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, escaped the edge of sword, whose weakness was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There's some crazy stories, and they're amazing. God's power. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging. Listen, these are real people. These are people just like me and you who are faced with the decisions to take a stand or to sit on the fence and play it safe. They were faced with jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by a sword. They went around in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, mistreated, and the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground, and these were all commanded, commended for their faith. This last sentence is interesting, and I, I want to explain this sentence before I read it. All these people lived before Jesus. And in the Old Testament of the Bible, which is the first two-thirds of the Bible that basically sets up Jesus to come. God has got this whole plan in mind. It's amazing as you read through it. None of these people, though they were having faith in God and knew that God had a big plan, none of these people got to see Jesus. Yet they still trusted God. And check out this last sentence. Yet none of them received what had been promised. They did all this despite the fact that Jesus had yet to come because they knew and they had faith that God was going to come through for them. They had the chance to play it safe or live an adventure. It got caused people to do things that are daring, sometimes beyond yourself to something that you couldn't do on your own without his power. And that's what we see in the Bible, and that's what we see in these passages. And I think what ultimately I, I, I like to see through these passages is like, what God says, I want you to accomplish something that when it's finished, people can step back and look at the situation and go, God had to be involved in that. There's no way that happened if God was not involved in that. Maybe some of you have experienced that in your own life. Maybe some of you have not. Maybe you've just thought, I, you know, I just kind of thought the whole Christian thing, God thing was just kind of like another thing to do. I mean, you can join the Rotary Club, and join the YMCA, work out, do hot yoga, or go to church in a gymnasium. Like, it's just an option in life. It's so much more than that, man. It's something that can change the world. It's shining light into dark places. God calls people to be modern-day adventurers. And if, if that's what God did through the Bible, let me ask you a question. Do you sometimes think about things that happened a long time ago, especially Bible stories, especially those of you who have like, seen some Bible background, have some church-like background in your life? Have you ever had this thought, well, yeah, God did that then. <laughs> he doesn't do that now. Of course he wouldn't do that now. Like maybe there was a day where God was talking and at some point 
God just says, nah, I'm done with that. I'm done with the big adventure stuff. I'm done with the Davids and the, and the Samuels. I'm done with the Abrahams and the Moseses. I'm done with that. From now on, I, I'm going to do things differently. So at one point, it was like, Moses, lead my people to freedom. Or Esther, remember Esther? In the shadows. Remember that? That's from a series we did a couple months ago. Esther, confront a king about a major crisis. Like, but now he's like, this, this is what God says now. He says, <clears throat> John, make as much money as you possibly can and retire early so you can play golf for 20 years. That is all I have for you. Like, I think sometimes we really believe that's what God is doing these days. He's not calling people, or maybe he's like, uh, Julie, raise good kids. Serve in the PTA. That's all I have for you. Maybe you feel that way, like, maybe that's all there is to life right now. But there's so much more. Jim, I realize you don't like your job. But enjoy your weekends. Maybe try fantasy football. You're good with numbers. <laughs> it's perfect for you. That's all I have for you. No, God doesn't. God still doesn't call people to boring mundaneness. He wants the world to be different because we're here. He has a place for us. He has a job for us. He has a purpose for us. And so we're in this series right now called Renegade. The words here on the screen, you've seen it in our newsletter if you get it. And we talked about it as I started out this morning. The whole idea of Renegade is to say, you know, there's, there are people in this world who look at the world around them and they say, that's not right. Someone needs to do something about that. So they take a stand. They could choose to play it safe, but they choose to take a stand. And so throughout our series, we've looked at amazing people, Esther Ann Kim in our first week. Remember her? The Korean lady during Japanese occupation of Korea who stood up against the Japanese government who was oppressing, oppressing Christians, not to mention just the Koreans in general. And she took a stand. She did some incredible things. How did she do it? We talked that first week. She said, well, there's no such thing as magic. Remember? What you pour in is what will pour out. A few weeks later, we did talk about David, and we talked about uh, the renegade that week, a guy named William Carey and the things he did in India. And actually, I left out a bit of his story. I, I meant to conclude some of the things he did. There are millions of people around the world right now who are impacted by the ministry that William Carey did. The, the, by the time he died, he could only speak of about 700 people in India who would call themselves Christians because of anything he had done, which 700, we're like, 700, that's a lot of people. Now there's millions who can trace their faith back to the the renegade life that William Carey lived. And so if you missed some of those talks, go check it out on our website, jointheventure.com. Click on messages, and it's all right there. And be inspired to know that you have a choice. You could stand on the fence, or you could live an adventure. And these guys chose to. In the movie We Bought a Zoo, um, the main character, the dad, has this motto that he lives by. He was taught this when he was a younger kid by his brother, and, and he lived it out most of his life. And basically, here's the motto. You only have to be courageous for about 20 seconds. That's the motto. You only have to be courageous for about 20 seconds. And uh, that's what you can live by. And if you can be courageous for about 20 seconds, you can accomplish what? Anything. Almost everything that you want to do, if you can get past the first 20 seconds of I'm nervous, I'm scared, I'm terrified, you can make it. You can do this. And so uh, in this movie, he starts talking about this phrase, and it's, it's interesting. It's that idea, 20 seconds of bravery, that actually is how he meets his wife. The whole movie spins around the idea of the fact that the wife has passed away and now they're trying to move on and, and live life without, him, without her. The story of how he met his wife is pretty cool. He's walking down a street in a city and he sees this beautiful woman sitting in a bar, in a cafe window, and she's like eating lunch. And, and he sees her there and he just thinks, I've got to meet her. And he wants to go talk to her, but then he thinks, that's not how you do it. You don't just walk up to random people in cafes and just talk to them. I think you're beautiful. I probably want to marry you. Like that's, 
That's called creepy. In fact, people like that don't make it very far, right? You can't, you can't do that. But he just walks by and he thinks about it. He's like, 20 seconds. 20 seconds of bravery. I'm in, I'm out. If it doesn't work out, it's cool. So he walks in and he just starts the conversation. And there's a moment in the movie where he's helping his son deal with some, some fear that he has. And he's talking to his son and they're, they're reliving the memories they have about the mom. And he tells him that story. 20 seconds of insane bravery, and you can change anything. And he says this to his son, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of courage, literally 20 seconds of insane bravery, and I promise you something great will come of it. And as he talks, he's realizing this marriage, this whole part of my life that I had with my wife, these two beautiful kids, my career, all of that. Is because I was willing to be insanely brave for just 20 seconds. Here's a question I want to ask you guys, because you all have these moments in your life. There's, there's things happening in your life, and you're like, yeah, I remember when I met that person. I remember when this happened. I remember when that happened. Let me ask you this question. What if you didn't? How would life be different? This son he was talking to wouldn't even be here. I think that when it comes to being on this adventure with God, there's this section of questions we can go through. And I'm going to say it two or three times today. And so if you're someone who takes notes, you can jot these down. But this is the attitude that I think we can address this morning and something that will change your life. First question is this. God, what do you need me to do today? Second question. God, what do you need me to do in this moment? And the last thing is a phrase. God, whatever it is, I'll do it. Let's say it again. God, what do you need me to do today? God, what do you need me to do in this moment? God, whatever it is, I'll do it. 20 seconds of insane bravery. What could come of it? Each week we've talked about someone throughout modern history who's made a difference because they were a renegade. You know, sometimes when we look at the Bible and we see people like these names, Abraham and Moses, like it's so foreign, it seems like it happened thousands of years ago, and how could that possibly apply to me? And so one of the purposes of this series is to take a look at people like Esther Ann Kim and William Carey and other modern day renegades and say, God's not done with us yet. Today I want to take a look at somebody who is, if you don't know who she is, you'll know what she did. And if you don't know what she did, maybe you just somehow missed it, you are part of the impact of it. Her name is Rosa Parks. You see this lady? Rosa Parks, uh, a lot of people know her as the lady who did what? She wouldn't get out of her seat on the bus. <laughs> During the civil rights movement in the, in the United States in the, in the 60s, and it was, it, was, uh, it was a rough day. Actually, this was earlier than the big parts of the city. It was 1955. And... What a lot of people know about Rosa Parks, most people know about Rosa Parks, is she's the lady who wouldn't get up out of her seat in the bus, right? What many people don't know about her is that she was a quiet, gentle, soft-spoken, mild and meek lady who never wanted to cause any problem. She worked daily uh, with the NAACP and, and the whole movement for civil rights, but she didn't want to be a frontline activist. She never wanted to be on a postcard. I believe this was a stage picture just to reenact kind of what happened. She would have never wanted this. She would have never wanted to be a person whose name was the name being used as a renegade from a stage at a church 50 years later, 60 years later. Like, that's not what she would have wanted. She just wanted to make a quiet difference in the world. 
And so she would work hours and hours at a, at a plant where she, where she ironed clothes, and then she would go in the evenings at NAACP offices after everything had shut down, and she would file papers, and she would, like, work on calendar stuff, and she would do things that were administrative because she didn't want the spotlight. So it was December 1st, 1955. She got on a bus, and she sat down on the first row of what was called the colored section. Honestly, to me, the way I was raised and the friendship groups that I have, and I just love looking at the diversity in this room here. When I even think about that, it just makes me sick in my stomach. But it was a, it was a, it was a worse place for American history, right? The colored section. She was sitting, and, and what a lot of people don't realize is she was actually in a seat that was completely okay for her to sit in. And it wasn't that there weren't any other seats in the bus. But the bus driver walks up to her, and, uh, you know, a Caucasian passenger got on. He, he needed a seat, asked her to move. Now, now, in this moment, Rosa Parks could have done one of many things. She could have played it safe and said, oh, yeah, yes, sir, sure, whatever you need. But <laughs> I, I want to know what's going through her mind. She's probably like, are you kidding me? There's a seat right there. Sit right there. <laughs> Do you know that I have worked my butt off and I'm now headed to go volunteer for the NAACP? Do you know that? Do you know how tired I am? I don't know what it, through, what it meant through her mind, but she changed the world and rattled all of the rest of history with one word. No. The bus driver said, yes, you'll get up and if you don't, I'm going to call the police. And you know what she said? You can do that. You know how long the entire exchange probably took? Maybe 20 seconds. And the things that have accomplished, oh, she, she took America to a place that literally, some of these guys were already doing their work, but paved the way for even men like Dr. Martin Luther King, who gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. To, why? To help America find their better self. And there is no one in this world today who wasn't impacted by 20 seconds of insane courage. One thing that a lot of people don't know about Rosa Parks is she was also a very devout Christian. And I don't think that really uh, the, the, the boldness that she had and the courage that she had would have been possible if you read kind of the stuff that she says without her faith that God had something bigger for her and that God had something bigger for the world. She was a renegade. And so, so this is where we are today. Kind of, we're at a simple point, and I'm almost done. I just want to ask you this question. When you face moments in your life when you think, I could play it safe, I could sit on the fence, or I could take a stand for something that matters and do the right things and be a renegade, what will you do? You ask the question, God, what do you want for me today? God, what do you want for me in this moment? And whatever it is, I'll do it. And it might take that you have to muster up 20 seconds of insane courage, but you have no idea the impact that it will make on the world around you. The thing about God is that when we follow him, he always delivers with a promise. He does. I challenge you to check it out. Look in the Bible on your own or talk to somebody else who, who's a Christian and say, look, so what's this thing about God's promise? God promises so much for us. He, he promises a life that is abundant. Now, that doesn't always mean that we're always going to have all the money that we need. It doesn't mean that we're always going to live in the biggest house that we want to live in. What does it mean? Our life is going to be rich with joy and peace and satisfaction and living a life that matters. Living a life that is not whatever, but living a life that goes, I made a difference. I want to share with you the way that Paul says it in the Bible. Paul is a, um, 
He's a missionary in the early church, and he traveled around the world. In fact, Paul's story begins kind of cool because he actually was a Christian hater. Uh, he persecuted Christians. He drug them out of their, their houses and, like, literally killed them. But then when he finds out about the love of Jesus and the way that it can change people's lives, he grabs a hold of that thing. He begins to spread it all over the world. And so he writes uh, in the Bible, he wrote the book of Romans, in chapter 8, verse 31, this is kind of what he says about this whole concept. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who does not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how can he also not, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who have chosen God? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus died for all. More than that, who raised, who raised to life? Let me say that again. No one. Christ who died... More than that, who is raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famines or nakedness or sword or danger? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things... We are made more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present or the future or any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then Paul says, listen, there's nothing to be afraid of. I want you to take a stand, and let me just take a second to talk about something that might be on your mind. Because as I talk about this whole idea of being a renegade and taking a stand and not playing it safe, you might find yourself in a position going, yeah, I like Maria and everything, but I really don't want to move to Colorado. I don't think that's what God is asking me to do. I like William Carey's story and everything, but really, India? I think they got in... Indian missionaries now. I think they're good in India. And like maybe Rosa Parks, well, you know, we already had a civil rights movement and there are activists for all kinds of things. And I just don't really want to, you know, I don't want to stand out. I don't know if I want to be all that. Here's the thing. God doesn't call everyone to be a Rosa Parks. God doesn't call everyone to be a, uh, a William Carey or an Esther Ann Kim. But every one of us have the challenge to live a life that matters. And there's not a one of us in this room that God says, you know what, here's what I want you to do. Sit do nothing until you collect retirement and die. That's my plan for you. He says, no, I declare you a modern-day adventurer. Get out there, shine light into dark places, and make this world awesome because of my love. That's what God has for you. And so I don't know what it is for you. Maybe God's calling to you to serve in a unique way, like to find a way to volunteer according to the unique way that he has gifted you, to get into the homeless community, get into uh, the public school system, to get into a local daycare, to go to a neighbor's house and help them mow their grass. Maybe that's all he's calling you to do. Or maybe God is calling you to a new career path. Like you've known for a long time that this just wasn't for you and the things that you were having to do with your job were kind of pulling you away from what God had for you. Or maybe as you're hearing more and more about God, you look at your career and go, you know, I think I could do more for God if I did something different with my time, with my job. And so maybe that's the challenge that's there for you. Or maybe God's calling you to be more generous. And maybe you're a very blessed person and you've got resources and you've got finances and you've got money. Do you know someone in the community or in your family who just needs help? Maybe that's the big step that God wants you to take. It could be something else. It could be that you have a secret in your life, a secret sin, a sin that's eating away at you. And you've been hiding it. You've been hiding it for a long time. And part of God's word into your life is that you need to go to a trusted friend and confide in them and confess the thing that's eating you alive and get help. 
It's a big step that you've got to take, but you've got to take it. You can't just sit the fence on that one. It's not going to get better by itself. Maybe the conversation you need to have is, is with your spouse because things just hadn't been going great lately. And you just can't talk, and you just don't know where each other are anymore. It's going to be hard, and it's going to be awkward, and it might take 20 seconds of insane courage to start the conversation, but you know it's going to be like a four-and-a-half-week talk. But maybe what you've got to do is just do it. Take a stand. Be a renegade in your own family and say, man, I know God's got something better than this for us. Let's work on this together. Or it could be that you need to give your life to God for the first time. You came here with a friend today, and you didn't know any of us, but something this morning has made you go, I don't know, maybe it's not whatever. Maybe, maybe it does matter. Maybe I should get off the fence and take a stand. If that's you today, I just want to encourage you. One, if you're like a long way from that decision, and We'll just keep coming back to learn more, listen more. Do that. After church today, we have something we call Venture in 10. We try to do it about every six or eight weeks. Maybe you've been coming around church for a while and, and you don't really know what next steps to take or kind of where church even comes from or what we're all about. Here's what I invite you to do. Stick around for 10 minutes after church today. We're going to mingle for just a second and then somebody will get on stage and say, head to Venture in 10. It's down the hall to the left. This is for everybody, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, I don't care who comes. Just, it's just for everybody just to see what, what could be a next step for you. And, and maybe that's just a step that you want to take. Just to see, it's kind of it's means something. How could I do this here? Stick around. Ten minutes. We do our best to be done in ten minutes. Whatever the case, stop playing it safe. Step out and stand on something firm, which I believe is the truth and the love and the grace and the forgiveness that God has for you. Can I pray for you? God, we love you so much, and I praise you for just the examples in life of people like uh, Rosa Parks. and uh, Man, her boldness to say no changed the world. Uh, so many others, some in this room. I was speaking to a couple today who I know are very involved in foster care and adoption, and man, just the, I pray for them. I pray for their the organization they work with and the families that I know within our church family that work with them, they're taking a stand on something they believe is right and they're changing lives and I know that a lot of it is, is their faith in you. There are other people in our community here who are taking stands and I, I praise you for that. I praise you give them the boldness and the courage and maybe the 20 seconds they need to get through hard moments. And I pray for those of us in the room today who are just having a hard time taking a stand. We don't even know what we stand on. I pray that you'll make yourself clear to us. We love you so much and we praise you most of all for Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen.